Welcome to this podcast with Dr. Samah Jabir, a Palestinian psychiatrist, psychotherapist, and writer from Jerusalem. She works in the West Bank as the director of the mental health unit at the Palestinian Ministry of Health. Dr. Jabr has insight into the health situation in Gaza, given that she trains mental health professionals there. I will discuss the topic of mental health in Gaza with Dr. Jabr. Hello, Dr. Jabir. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us today. Thank you for your interest and thanks for shedding a light about mental health and the situation in Gaza. Absolutely. It's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. To start, can you tell us a bit about your journey in the field of mental health in Palestine and what drew you to work in this field? I grew up in in the home uh, that is interested in the field of psychology. My father is specialized in educational psychology and uh, he used to be a university professor and we had lots of books related to psychology and I enjoyed reading the topic. But the decision to specialize in psychiatry was made uh, at medical school. I, I studied medicine in the first medical school that was made for Palestinians. And um, I studied during the time of the second intifada. And uh, as I was doing my rotations in internal medicine and uh, pediatrics, I noticed that so many people come to see the doctors for somatization, for uh, medically unexplained symptoms. And uh, I realized that uh, there is a big connection between the aches and pains of people and the hardships that they were going through during the uh, daily bombardment that was taking place uh, in the Second Intifada. And then I decided to specialize in psychiatry and I went to France uh, for my specialty. And I was, as I was studying psychiatry, I developed a special interest in psychotherapies. So uh, I also have a training in cognitive behavioral therapy and a three-year training in psychoanalytic psychotherapy. I finished my studies in France and started working in, in Palestine in by the end of 2006. For a while, for 10 years, I worked as the director of the Ramallah Community Mental Health Center and then um, as the director of the mental health unit, which is responsible for mental health activities that are run by the Palestinian Ministry of Health. Thank you for sharing that. And in your journey towards coming to, to this field, are there any people in or out of Palestine that really inspired you or guided your work and your interpretations of, of how to practice medicine? Well, of course, as I uh, studied abroad, uh, I had teachers and supervisors uh, outside Palestine. Uh, but the first inspiration was uh, by a, a, a doctor working here in Palestine at the psychiatric hospital, Dr. Yvonne Lamle. And um, I liked the way she practiced and uh, I encountered her as a medical student. And then as I studied abroad, I, I met with excellent teachers uh, and supervisors. I've been always interested in reading about uh, uh, different subjects in the field of mental health. Coming from different countries, uh, the practice of this profession in different countries 
and I realized early on in my career that uh, uh, the practice of mental health needs to be contextualized. The theories that developed in the West and uh, were relevant to the uh, situation of people in the West does not necessarily work for us here. So I've been involved in the thinking of contextualizing the mental health, health practice in Palestine, where we have very small number of staff, where Palestine is considered as a low middle income country with very minimal resources and a, a very small investment in the field of mental health and adapting the practice and the policies of mental health to this particular situation in Palestine. And above all, the situation of political violence that brings uh, trauma upon so many people. And uh, of course, there are severe psychological consequences for this situation. Absolutely. Um, and I'd like to pick up on this point of contextualization that you brought up. In your work, you challenge the limits of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as a diagnostic and an explanatory model in the context of the situation in Gaza and in Palestine broadly. Can you speak more to how we can understand PTSD in a place like Gaza where traumatic conditions are ongoing? I think the, the diagnosis PTSD that was coined in 1980 best captures the experience of a soldier who fights away from his homeland, goes back to safety, but continues to feel the threat in his mind, continues to have, uh, to have flashbacks, nightmares, hypervigilance, uh, avoidance. Now, this is not the situation of Palestinians. Uh, Palestinians cannot escape the real threat in the reality. Uh, the threat was never imaginary or only in their mind or only in flashbacks and, and uh, nightmares. Uh, so the violence is ongoing. And of course, there are serious traumatic uh, reactions, uh, but they don't look like PTSD and in some we can we can find a broad spectrum of uh, reactions to uh, trauma anxiety depression and sometimes profound uh, changes in personality and in uh, the prospect to the world in in their uh, understanding of the world I work with uh, people who experienced torture in prisons during interrogation. I work with families uh, who live a traumatic grief because they lost some family members and they don't know what happened to them. They just disappeared and they are left to assume what could have happened to them. And uh, many of these people they deal with the trauma from the past, but they continue to experience uh, other traumas in Gaza. For example, uh, over the past 10 years, there has been a few serious uh, 
uh, attacks and uh, wars uh, on the people. It doesn't target soldiers, it targets the civilian population. Gaza is a closed zone and there is no escape. Even in the time when there is no military attack and no war, the humanitarian situation is made extremely difficult for people. The, 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 so many people have food insecurity. There are cuts in electricity, uh, no clean water to drink for big neighborhoods. For many people, they don't have access to clean water most of the time. Uh, so the life is made extremely difficult. These situations, this description of reality does not amount to a traumatic event, but it is an ongoing distress that makes the life of people extremely difficult. It is a closed zone to a very, it's a highly dense situation and people uh, cannot get out of Gaza. Many people need to access healthcare outside Gaza. Uh, but it is made extremely difficult for them. Sometimes they are forced to make uh, important compromises on their way to uh, outside the, the border of Gaza to have health care. Uh, there are reports from Physicians for Human Rights, for example, say that some people were, they were refused health care because they didn't agree to collaborate and be informants to the Israeli security system. So uh, that's the kind of hardship that uh, people endure in Gaza. But we need to be careful. Not everyone who goes through hardships uh, becomes uh, sick, develops a mental health disorder. There is uh, a lot of psychological suffering, and some people get sick. Uh, an important percentage of people get sick, and they need a lot of help, but not only psychological help, humanitarian help, and a political solution. And it's very important to understand that uh, to look at the situation in Gaza as a situation of uh, illness and disease uh, and mental health uh, crisis, while ignoring the political reality and not providing solutions for the political reality, is in a way a contribution to to this attack uh, on the humanity of the people in Gaza. I was wondering if you could speak more to how people in Gaza are coping with this, how they're coping to the, these attacks on their humanity and how they're coping with, you know, really kind of an international um, ignorance to the political situation and the political reality and how that's affecting not only people's health or their psychosomatic symptoms that they experience, but their everyday life, as you said, this ongoing distress that they have to live with. First, let me share with you that uh, my, my latest experience uh, in Gaza two weeks ago, I came back from Gaza. I was in a mission. Uh, it was the first time I go to Gaza, in fact. I, I went there. Uh, I was recruited by one of the international NGOs to train the staff, the psychologists that work for the Minister of Health and also the counselors that work uh, in schools. Uh, and the subject, the topic was uh, uh, 
uh, childhood trauma. And I was amazed at the capacities that people have. Uh, they they are hardworking people, really engaged uh, in in their work, uh, enthusiastic about their profession. They want to help others. I was impressed. We go to teach in Gaza to train, and there is a lot for me uh, to learn from the colleagues and from the patients there. Another thing that uh, left uh, an impact on me is this experience of crossing the border from the Israeli-occupied port to Gaza, crossing Erez area, Erez checkpoint. It's uh, like I crossed it in 25 minutes, 30 minutes. When you cross the checkpoint of Erez, you feel that you are crossing two places that are one century apart from each other. Fancy homes, fancy cars on the Israeli side. You see uh, carts and animals uh, on the Palestinian side. You see young people who are amputee, who uh, lost their limbs uh, when they participated in the uh, Great March of Return. Uh, their presence is very visible. You go through the neighborhoods and it's very common that you see at least two, three people uh, every time I went out. You see the suffering, you see the poverty, and at the same time, the kindness and the eagerness for people in Gaza to meet with uh, an outsider. I know that you're, you're a practitioner, so you're in a position where you not only need to be there for people and um, help them provide medical care for them, you also need to train other people, as you said, um, like practitioners in Leza. What kind of impact does this have on you, like personally? Um, you know, because you're, you're human too, and like you said, um, you were educated during the second intifada. Like, how does this kind of impact you and your work and the approach to what you do? Let me say a few things about um, uh, the role, the different roles that I play in the field of mental health in Palestine and uh, the impact this has on me. So I, as, as we have very few uh, practitioners in Palestine, uh, so I have to do a lot of work. Uh, in my role at the Minister of Health, I'm a policymaker in mental health. Like I'm responsible for developing national strategies for suicide prevention, a mental health response to COVID-19. Uh, I, I coordinate between um, uh, different uh, organizations working in the field of mental health. And I also have a big load of clinical work uh, in the private sector. I also work as a consultant for some NGOs where I train staff and supervise them. I'm very passionate about the work that I do for several reasons. One of them is because I view that the liberation of Palestine requires us to heal the minds of people that have been occupied and traumatized for several generations. So I see my work as a contribution to the mental liberation and a contribution to the overall project of the liberation of Palestine.
the other reason why I uh, I like this work is because I have always been curious about human behavior, and I'm interested in comparing the the work that uh, I see here in Palestine uh, with the things that I learned in the, the Western education in, in mental health. I see many similarities, but I see some differences. And I like to elaborate on these differences because I believe that Palestine is a place uh, to teach mental health. We have things to share with others and teach to others. Uh, implementing a mental health strategy in a situation where there is violence, uh, little resources invested in mental health, and very small number of practitioners. Those are tough situations, and we are doing the art of the possible. We are doing what can be done uh, in this situation, and I think uh, uh, this can inspire many colleagues uh, outside Palestine. Um, one, one more thing that I want to say, uh, I, I'm not only a psychiatrist and a mental health professional, I'm also a Palestinian citizen, and I experience the political violence on my skin, like other Palestinians. Now, my understanding in psychotherapy is that the aim of man-made trauma, like wars and political violence, is to impose helplessness on us. Uh, so as I engage in the heavy work that I do in Palestine, this is my healthy reaction to trauma. I'm not helpless. I don't feel helpless. And I know that the overall objective of political violence is to make me helpless. And uh, uh, my work is uh, my agency. It's uh, my response to the difficult situation. And I hope that in providing support to uh, my patients, I also help them to regain their agency. Uh, so it's uh, a healthy reaction to the man-made trauma that we face in Palestine. That was really beautifully said. Thank you. Building off of this, you you mentioned that there are lessons to be learned from the case of Palestine. How do you think these lessons can be communicated and, and shared with the rest of the world and to the broader field that you're working with? I hope that this podcast is uh, one way to share uh, the Palestinian experience with others, but also myself and uh, several of my colleagues are involved in scholarly writings uh, about the situation in Palestine and um, providing mental health services in Palestine. Uh, we draw many uh, conclusions from uh, anti-colonial psychotherapy and anti-colonial uh, uh, contexts. Um, and at the same time, we uh, make our own observations and our own reflections in, on the situation that, uh, where we work here in Palestine. So this is what we do to, to share with others. We participate in conferences. We uh, speak about the situation in Palestine. Many of us understand that uh, political advocacy is 
also an integral part of our role uh, as health providers and mental health providers because we understand that man-made violence and political violence is the most important pathogen against the well-being of people. So we do all the necessary clinical work that we practice in our daily life, but we also uh, speak up against racist policies and political violence. I can uh, add one more thing about uh, how do we practice in, in, in Palestine, given the small number of professionals. Uh, so we train uh, many people in the helping profession uh, to provide uh, low-intensity uh, psychotherapeutic interventions. So we have many teachers in Palestine. We train teachers to intervene, to provide uh, psychological first aid during crisis time, uh, to teach uh, social skills uh, for children, to do some interventions in group setting to help people recover uh, from trauma. We train also uh, clergy and uh, uh, religious uh, leaders who are usually consulted before the psychiatrist when people face uh, some mental health issues or relational problems uh, within a family. So uh, uh, we draw on the capacities of these people and the trust relationship between them and the community. And we try to provide uh, a lot of help in the community. This in addition to uh, a more specialized training that we provide for primary health doctors and nurses, because those are uh, also trusted people by the community. And usually uh, a person who suffers from somatization, aches and pains, that are related to uh, health, uh, to, to a psychological situation, they go to see the primary doctor and the nurse before they come to the psychiatrist. So we made profound trainings for doctors in the West Bank and uh, in Gaza uh, so that they can provide counseling and low intensity intervention and uh, uh, even uh, psychiatric treatment for common disorders like the and and we we try to bypass the stigma and the apprehension from the psychiatric hospital and the psychiatric clinics uh, and make uh, promote uh, mental health literacy uh, among people and at the same time uh, make the health the mental health interventions uh, accessible by uh, people everywhere. Can you speak more to the kinds of stigmas or, or challenges you face either between, you know, living under Israeli occupation or in the case of Gaza, Israeli siege, and also with the community, any kinds of stigma or challenges that you might face in the, in the practicing of your work? Stigma is, uh, is an, a universal problem. Stigma associated uh, with mental health is uh, a universal thing. And I think in each context, it takes a special shape. 
in Palestine, I, I, I will give one example that is related to our context. We realize that many people come out of prison, political imprisonment, which is very prevalent in, in Palestine, like 20% of the Palestinian population experienced political detention. And um, torture and mistreatment is commonplace. So when people come out of prison, they are given the status of a hero by the Palestinian society. But at the same time, they have a lot of suffering and it becomes more stigmatizing for them to be told that uh, uh, you are sick, you need psychiatric treatment. That's why we try to provide uh, psychosocial support for them uh, outside the psychiatric uh, clinics and the mental health centers. Um, so the minors who spend some time in prison, uh, we try to uh, engage them in clubs or in uh, uh, sport coaching uh, where they get uh, support and counseling by older people, by adults who experience imprisonment them themselves and who uh, are familiar with the situation in prison. Uh, so that's one way to bypass the stigma in, in our context. And there are a few more examples. So I know that there are organizations um, such as like We Are Not Numbers in Gaza that work to address um, the severe underrepresentation in media of Palestinian voices, while also kind of working to address stigma and and perhaps kind of mitigate the the effects of stigma. What kind of role, if any, do you think that the media can play in reshaping narratives about, about mental health, both within the community, but also international perceptions of, of mental health in Gaza and beyond? I, I think that um, a lot has been achieved in that direction. Uh, I started practicing as a specialized psychiatrist uh, 14, 15 years ago in in Palestine. And I see that uh, people talk more openly now about mental health issues. And uh, we take advantage of any opportunity of a big event that takes place in Palestine to educate people about mental health. I work uh, often with media. We speak on media to promote mental health literacy. Well, I hope that these conversations around mental health continue to be discussed openly, and there is no doubt in my mind that your efforts and the efforts of your colleagues will make an impact now and for generations to come. Thank you for joining, Dr. Javid, and for making the time to be here and share your insights today. It is deeply appreciated. Thank you for your interest, and thanks for shedding a light about mental health and the situation in Gaza. You've been listening to Status Audio Magazine. The Status is produced by the Arab Studies Institute in partnership with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, co-sponsored by George Mason University's Middle Eastern Studies Program and the American University of Beirut's Asfari Institute for Civil Society and Citizenship. Interested in pitching an interview, a program episode, or becoming a partner, Email our associate producer, Paola Messina, at paola at statushour.com. 
To listen to more conversations, on-the-scene reports, and discussions, visit our website, statushour.com, or subscribe via iTunes and listen to us on the go. You can also friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and for more conversations, please visit statushour.com. Thank you.